And then two weeks ago, we got to hear from Pastor Imad Sami, who is an Egyptian pastor, and he talked really about being a, a growing church, a, a dynamic church, a, a giving church, and a church that is going with his message. And then last week, Aaron reminded us that when we go through periods of change, that often God reveals things to us about our relationship with him in that process. And he uses those times to, to draw us closer to himself so that we can know him better. And sometimes those those Though that process is a little bumpy along the way, but God always reveals something to us about his relationship with us, and he draws us to himself through those times. And today, and, and primarily through a really quick flyover of the book of Ephesians, don't worry, we're not going to go verse by verse through Ephesians. This is not Martin Lloyd-Jones this morning, so uh, if you don't know who that is, look it up. He took about six years, I think, to preach the book of Romans. So um, we're going to look to a flyover of the book of Ephesians, really, to see, really, what it means to be a member of this local church. Now, if you are not yet a member, please feel no condemnation. This is really an, an address to the members of this local church. If you're still visiting with us, we, we invite you, we welcome you to, to determine what local church God's called you to. We think he has a local church for you somewhere. Um, if that's here, we'd be thrilled. If that's somewhere else, we would love to see you have God's uh, be in God's will for wherever he has you, but um, this is primarily meant for members of the church this morning, and uh, for everyone else, you are welcome to listen in and hear, what do we believe about what does it mean to be a member of this local church? And especially now, we want to take this opportunity to think about, as we've moved into a building, as we're kind of replanting in this new location, what does it look like to be a member of this local church? So before we do, though, let's pray. Father, thank you for times like this that we can gather together, that we can hear from you, Lord, that you can address us from your word. God, I pray that you would empower me as I speak, Lord, that you would um, enable me to speak, Lord, by, by your grace. Father, I pray that you would give grace to each and every person here to hear. Father, I pray that you would stir up our minds, Lord. I, I pray that you would help us respond to you with not only with our thoughts, but with our hearts, Lord, and with with all that we are. May we love you, may we, we worship you in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine for a moment that you are all employees of an orphanage. You work at an orphanage, and at this orphanage is a young teenage girl named, I don't know, Anastasia. And, and she has been struggling with feeling like she doesn't belong, she doesn't feel like she has a place, she feels like she's all alone in this world. And no matter how you try to comfort her and you tell her that, you know what, I, I'm your friend and I'm really here for you. But you go home at the end of every day and she feels all alone still. And she always comes back to the stark truth that she is an orphan and she has no true family, no permanent family. And for some reason, unexplicably, she was left as an orphan at this orphanage in, in the middle of the night. And she's been here her entire life. She's never known anything different, and she's seen workers come and workers go. She's never known any kind of family. Then imagine that one day you discover that she has a father, and her father's still alive, and in fact, her father is a king in a far-off country, and her father's been looking for her all along ever since she was taken from him by an enemy wanting to get back at him and who stole her from her father and took her to a foreign land. Could you imagine how she would react if you told her this good news? That, that Anastasia, you have a father. Not only do you have a father, he, he's a king. And he's been looking your entire life for you. 
Imagine how she'd react if you told her that good news, that she would know that she wasn't abandoned, she wasn't really all alone, she wasn't unwanted, she was wanted, and she had a place, and she had a home, and she had a family. That'd be good news, wouldn't it? She'd likely be ecstatic. Her life would have changed in just a moment. But it would be bizarre and very confusing if you just delivered the news and you said, Anastasia, here's this great news, but you really should just stay here. You, you really have this good news. You're wanted. You're not alone. You have a family. You have a place. You have a father who's looking for you. He's a king. And, and you can go back to be with him, but you really don't need to. And It'd be very confusing. It would be unnatural. It would be unnerving. She would want to go and be and find with her father and find him and, and be with him. It would be odd because the good news is she had a father and, and that she had a family. It was, it was news that would mean something when she got to meet him, she got to be with him, when she could go and live life as a princess who has a place and belongs and is really not alone. As followers of Jesus Christ, the message that we have been given, it's, it's the most life-transforming, world-altering, culture-shifting message that we could ever receive, that the world could ever receive. And it's that message that we all know. It's John 3.16. It's God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news as orphans. It says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This, this message that we've been given, don't become complacent to it. It's a message that's better news than telling an orphan that they have an earthly father. It's a message that's given to tell all lost orphans that they have an eternal father. It's a message that calls orphans to be a part of God's family. And through people responding to this good news, men and women are reunited with our creator. And we're given eternal life. In peace everlasting with God. Can you imagine better news? Maybe this morning that news doesn't affect you, but let that news affect you as if you were the orphan, because here's the truth, you really were. All of us were lost. All of us were once going our own way. And yet God enables us and calls us to be a part of this, this mission that he is on to seek and to save mankind. And there is something that we're called to call people to in addition to calling people to God, we, God doesn't just say, hey, you've got a family now, I'm your father now, but he, he makes you a part of his people. He makes you a part of his family. When God calls people to himself, and they're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through trusting good news about Jesus. God draws them to himself and he makes them a part of his family. And, and, and so what we're going to look at today is how, how being a member of this local church, it means you're a member of this family. You're a member of God's family. You're a member of this local family as well. In fact, in Ephesians 1.5, we learn, it says that he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now think about that for a moment. Maybe you've heard the good news about Jesus. And believe that through his sacrifice on your behalf that you can be adopted as God's daughter or son. Here's what that means. You're you're no longer orphans. 
Maybe you had a crummy family growing up. Maybe you had an absentee father or an absentee mother, or maybe you had family that didn't care for you, didn't treat you like you belonged. The good news is that as you have been made a son or daughter of God, now you have been made a part of His family. You're no longer alone. You are never alone. You have a place when you become a Christian. God makes you a member. He makes you a member of what's, what's called the church invisible, but he also makes you a member of the church that's visible, that's right here. And if you want to look around for a second, this is your family if you're a member here. This is the family he's made you a part of. And it's okay if you laugh. God sometimes has a sense of humor, the kind of families that he puts us and makes us a part of, doesn't he? You know, if you think about each of the metaphors that the Bible gives about the church, they only make sense in the context of a close relationship with fellow believers, right? Think about the different, the different metaphors we're given. If we are sheep and we're part of his flock, it wouldn't make any sense if I sold, said, I'm going to sell you a flock of sheep and I only delivered one. Something would be wrong. You say, wait a minute, you you told me that, that we're, we're sheep, we're part of a flock, and you're selling me a flock, and yet you gave me just one sheep, where's the flock? If I, in Ephesians 2, it says we're, we're members of the household of God being built and joined together into a holy temple, but if I said, you know what, I'm going to build you a house, I'm going to build you a temple, and then I come to your house, and I put a brick on your front lawn, and then I drive away, and I give you a bill, you think something was a little askew, something was a little wrong with my thinking. This is one, one brick does not a building make. One sheep doesn't make a flock. If I said you're, you're part of a family, but you're just an estranged member, and you're never really going to be around other members of the family, you're never going to be a part of that family, you're never going to see your siblings, you're not going to hang out with them, you're not going to do anything together, you're not going to have fellowship with them or get to know them, you would think that something's wrong with that. That's not really a family. You see, all the metaphors in the Bible, they, they're really meant to, to show that the, the context of the Christian walk is corporate. There's a, it's to be done and carried out and walked out in, in community and because we're part of a family. If you met a man who said, I'm really close to my family, you said, oh really, tell me more about that. Tell me, tell me all about your family. He goes, well, I haven't talked to them in 25 years and I'm kind of angry at them still, I'm a little bitter and resentful and I've got a grudge and I don't want to be around them you'd probably think, I I don't know that you're really that close to your family. You probably have a different definition of closeness. Well, as a Christian, you're not just given the news that you have a father. He calls you to be a part of a specific family. You don't just have a nameless, faceless family that's in some far-off country. It's just, I have the church family, but I don't really know who they are. That wouldn't make any sense at all. If I told you I've got, I almost said the reverse, I've got two sisters and a brother and my parents who actually are here this morning, um, so they're going to keep me honest. I can't um, thank you. For, for those who know, my mom has been struggling with stage four cancer for a while, so it is a miracle that she's here this morning, so that's a total aside, but thanks. I'm sure that's why they were clapping. Glad to see God at work and that you're not you're not gone, you're still here with us. Well, when you're a part of a family, if I, if I told you 
was part of a family, but I didn't know who my brothers, my sisters were, my parents were. That would seem really odd. We say, well, I kind of believe you. I I believe that you're a part of a family in name, but that's not a family in deed, in practice. But when you choose to become a part of this local church family, you don't get to choose who will be your brothers and sisters, just like your normal family. When I was, I was the fourth one born, I didn't get to choose who my, who my brother and my two sisters were. Unfortunately, they didn't get to choose either. I imagine at times all of us have wanted to choose different people in our families. But once you're a part of this family, just like your own family, you get all of us with our warts, our bad breath, and our idiosyncrasies. Being a part of a family is great, and I love my family, and I, I love that I have my mom and dad here actually today, so I also need, know that I need to behave because my family keeps me accountable. Um, you know, growing up, I'm grateful that our family, we, we loved each other, even if it was loud and we didn't always get along, we loved each other, and we always made up because that's what families do, at least it's what good families do, right? When you're young, sometimes you don't realize the value of your family, and But God intended for there to be a special bond, a special affection, a special loyalty amongst family members. But sadly, many families don't reflect God's intentions. And many families here are broken. So maybe this message seems foreign to you. And you're thinking, I didn't have a close family. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. My my family doesn't love each other. My family is broken. God has placed us, all of us who are broken, into his united family that is no longer broken he heals the brokenhearted he makes them a part of his family and he tells us he says that he'll never divorce us he'll never leave us he'll never forsake us he'll always love us and now God's placed each and every member of this local church into this specific family now it'd be absurd if I said you know I belong to the Brown family but I don't I don't know where they live and who they are In the same way, if you're part of God's family and you're part of God's family here, it necessarily means you should know who your brothers and sisters are, right? It means, you know what? They might not be the easiest to be around, but they're family and I love them and I'm committed to them. And and by the way, the church family is a little different because we enter into this church family through a covenant, through a commitment to one another. And so it carries an even deeper covenantal meaning that together we are covenant members of God's family. You know, it's impossible to know all your brothers and sisters all across the world, but God's given us this local body so you can know the people here, so you can be in their lives, you can build closer relationships with them. But, but you know, family's not perfect. Anybody here have a perfect family growing up? Anybody? Any perfect family? I thought for sure Bruce Morgan would raise his hand, but he didn't. Um, that's humble of you, Bruce. Um, You know, family isn't perfect, and sometimes you do dumb things. You know, I was thinking about the one Thanksgiving when I was a kid. After the meal, you know, everybody's nodding off, and, and my uncle had gone into a turkey coma on the, on the couch. Gordon was deep asleep, and so I thought it was a good idea. You know what I think I'll do? I'll, I'll put some toothpaste in his hand, and I'll just fill it up, and, and I'll tickle his nose with a feather. And, and then, and he's a, a rather big guy, too, and so, um, so I did that. I was a small kid, by the way. I was below welterweight, you know, whatever that is. And, and, and so I tickled his nose, and so he takes this hand, and he goes, <laughs> and he kind of rubs it all over his face, and, 
Um, like I said, we have a loud family, so uh, he, he wasn't pleased, and he jumped up, and he tried to chase me all around the house. We had this little circle. We went between the living room, the dining room, and the kitchen. I was running and running and running. He didn't catch me, and the, the more I ran, the, and I would go one way, he'd go the other way. It was just like, you know, when your dog chases you, you know, around the circle. And um, eventually, they came back to our house for another meal. They, uh, they left. They left shortly after that. He was, he was angry. I think he wanted to do bad things to me. And, um, and so, because he couldn't, he, they just said, we're gone. And they left that day. And that was, you know, family sometimes is difficult because we do dumb things. They eventually, I, I asked forgiveness, and they eventually came back another day and had a meal again. And, and we're friends still. We love them. He's my godfather, actually. And um, they actually let us come and stay with them now, which is amazing. You know, it, in, in, as a family, when you do something dumb, you apologize. You, you, you make amends, you reconcile, um, even when you really want to do something bad to somebody else, when you want to hit them. You're like, you're such a moron, why'd you do that? You know, we, not only do we ask forgiveness, but we forgive too. And in a church, when we do dumb things to offend each other, we need to apologize, we need to reconcile, make things right. We can't just leave and not come back. For a brief moment, we thought that might happen, but see, in, in the church, we're, we're called to be a family, and it has implications, has implications for us. On the, on the receiving end, it, it means that we also have to extend forgiveness and come back to the table again for another meal, time and time and time again. You know, you might have felt like, you know, my, my affections are not um, reciprocated. People don't seem to treat me fairly. We, if you, unfortunately, families are not always the way we want them to be. But we're committed to the family because God's made us a part of the family, and it's for our good and for their good as well. You know, family's not always easy. It implies some bearing with each other, right? Anybody here have to bear with another family member ever? Come on, really? One person? Thank you, Hunter. That was excellent. You have to bear with your dad sometimes. I get it. <laughs> he didn't say that. You know, everybody's got, you know, a family member, a relative like Bart, who, you know, who tends to talk incessantly. I'm making up names, by the way. I try to pick names of people who weren't here. Um, you know, maybe it's Uncle Phil. He won't say a word to anybody. He's, he's grumpy all the time, a little moody. And you're like, oh my gosh, talking to him is like pulling teeth. Or maybe there's, you know, Aunt Phyllis, who she exaggerates all the time. She makes a big deal out of everything. And you just can't help but like, just Lord, help me not roll my eyes every time I talk to her. Or maybe, you know, Ralph, he's the hypochondriac. He always is convinced he has some new ailment. He complains a lot. And you're just thinking, okay, I've heard about this one. I really don't think that the government's implanting things in your teeth, but okay. Or maybe your sister Fran, who she really is sick with a debilitating condition, and, and she takes a lot of energy to care for. But you do, and you put up with him, and you bear with him, and you laugh hopefully at yourself and together with them and help them move on and carry the burdens and care for them all. Why? Because they're family and there's a commitment and a closeness implied. And so as a church member, the question is, how are you treating your family? You know, I mean, all of us probably thought of people when I mentioned physical family members. You might have thought of somebody else in this room. How are you treating your family? You know, all the one another's in the Bible, they can only be carried out as a part of a specific, local, close church family. So, Redeeming Grace Church member, 
How are you viewing your other family members here? Are you bearing with them? Are you practicing hospitality? Are you long-suffering? Are you caring for them? Are you carrying each other's burdens? Because we all have burdens that need to be carried. And, and you know what? One of the things a family does is growing up, we seem to move all the time. I mean, we moved a lot growing up. I don't know how many houses we were in, but, but you know, we hated moving, but you did it anyway because your family is what you do. You, everybody pitches in and you move. You know, you carry each other's physical burdens. And in the church, you, you know what? You carry each other's burdens. Sometimes it's not convenient. Often it's not convenient. But you care for them all because they're family and are you practicing hospitality, loving them? Are you looking out for their best interests? Are you thinking about them? Are you encouraging your family members? Are you teaching them? Are you helping them? Older women, are you helping instruct the younger women? Older men, are you training the younger men in, in, in godliness and humility? Are we encouraging one another? Are we being patient with our brothers and sisters? Are we asking for forgiveness when you do dumb things? Because you're part of a family, you're going to do something stupid. <laughs> when you're insensitive, you know, are, are you also forgiving other family members when they do something they don't even know they've offended you? Do you forgive them before they ask? And you think, well, I get it. That's okay. I love them anyway. How about seeking to build relationships with them? Are you pursuing them? Are you are you laughing with them like a family should? And don't take yourself too seriously. Sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously as a church family. I mean, in the negative sense, you know? We say, you know what? Let's just lighten up and realize that we all have faults and flaws and we can laugh at our, our own flaws. Try not to laugh at somebody else's flaws unless they're already laughing, by the way. But um, being a part of this local church means you're a member of this local family. And what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is. It's one of the, the highest privileges that we have is to be a part of God's chosen family. It means that we've been adopted. It means we've been brought near. We've been given a rich inheritance in Him. Ephesians 1.1, it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It can never be taken away. You're a part of a family. You're a part of an inheritance that can never be taken away. You're secure. And because of that, you can, you can live out your life as family members of God's family in freedom. Secure in who you are right here. Even if you struggle with what people think about you. You say, you know what? I'm a part of God's family. Nothing is going to change that. It doesn't matter what my brother or my sister thinks about me because God has already adopted me and given me an inheritance and made me a part of his family that's never going to be taken away. He's given me his Holy Spirit as a seal. But let's make sure that we treat each other as if it's a privilege to be a part of this local church family. And if we start treating each other this way, it's going to be a huge testimony to everybody around us, that we've been changed by the, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God's grace, and transformed from being individualistic 
and selfish to loving others. And you know what the Bible says about this? It says, by this people will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. It's that family love. The end of Ephesians 4, the beginning of Ephesians 5, it spells out what our motivation is to be meant to be as members of God's family. And, and this morning, it's, it's not my hope and it's, it's not God's will that you would be motivated by condemnation or guilt. Here's your motive. In Ephesians 4, 32, it gives us this, this motivation of how do we are called to treat each other as member of, members of God's household, as family. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now listen to your motivation right here. It says, as God in Christ forgave you. So our motivation is because God in Christ forgave us. That's, that's our motivation for being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And then, and then here's something more. It's just like a little kid imitates their, their parent, even if sometimes we don't want them to. It says, you know, it's, it's, we were meant to be that way. We are meant to, to imitate, to reflect our parents. It says, and therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Because you're loved by God, because you're beloved by God, that's our motivation for being imitators of our Father. And then it says, and walk in love. See what Paul's doing? He's piling on the motivation here for, for walking out of family relationships. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Um, love and imitate God as beloved children. He says, walk in love. How? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus has, has given himself up for you freely. And, and, and it, it explains how he did that. He did that not... He says he came to glorify the Father. Jesus himself didn't do that for his own glory. He did that to glorify his Father. And so Paul tells us, he says, Jesus offered himself up as a fragrant sacrifice and offering. What is that? That's worship. Jesus offered himself up as worship. So he's saying, walk in love like Christ loved us, and then give yourself up just like Jesus didn't do it for himself. He did it as a fragrant sacrifice, as worship to God, so we are really to, to walk out those family relationships as worship to God. This is a Godward relationship that we're carrying out here. We can forgive even a lot of sins amongst family members because God has forgiven us of a vast, innumerable amount of sins. And we walk in love if we're motivated by Christ's self-giving love not to make us, ourselves feel better, but, but like Jesus, so that our, our lives are God-worshipping. Well, the second aspect of what it means to be a member of this local church, and this is, there's only two, so don't worry, there's only two. The second aspect of what it means to be a part of this local church, to be a member of this local church, it, it means that you are a member of this body. That's the second metaphor that we're, we're going to look at. That You're not just a member of this family, but you're a member of this body. If you think about it, family relationships are close, right? But the relationship that my finger has with my hand is closer even than I have with the rest of my family. It's a very close relationship. My family can't get that close. But yet, 
We're given both kind of pictures here that we're not only a family and all that entails and that we actually have to relate to each other, that we are, it's going to be awkward, sometimes we have to forgive, and yet we're, we're committed to each other. There's a commitment there that's a mutual, that's a decision, that's, it's, it's because we're covenanted together, we've been adopted by the same Father. We have that metaphor, but then we also have another metaphor that's even closer. It says, not only is there that relational aspect, but you're actually knit together as close as a, as a body is knit to itself. Now, not about you, but I, I can't find any seams here on my wrist. I'm not talking about wrinkles, but I'm, I can't find any seams here. God has, has knit us together, and he's fearfully and wonderfully made our bodies, and there's a closeness and a, and a symbiotic relationship really implied through that body life. And in Ephesians 1.22, Paul says that, that, that God he says he put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. We are his body. Think about the closeness that that implies with Jesus. Nothing can separate us from him. There's no seams. We're a part of his body. We've been engrafted in. Jesus, he's the head of the church. He's the ultimate pastor of this church. He's the, the true senior pastor of this church. And, and this local church is his body. And the really cool thing is where you are a church member, God has made you an integral part of this body too. Think about that for a moment. What if I told you that a special U.S. Navy SEAL team had existed, it was given a specific mission, and, and they were told to accomplish their mission but that they tried to do it without having any defined members of their team. Do you get that? So they have a special mission, and they're, they're given a place to go, and they're given a task to carry out, and, and it's, it's SEAL Team 8, whatever, you know, I'm making that up, and, but yet they don't know who the members are. We have members. We do. We're members of that SEAL Team 8. We just don't know who the other members are. It'd be absurd. The team would never accomplish its mission. The same is true of the church, the body of Christ, to, to have a bunch of body members floating around on their own, to being uncommitted to being a part of the body. The body parts can't carry out the mission God has given to the whole body. You know, our mission here is to, to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing as disciples, who are making disciples. We can't do that if we're a bunch of independent body members floating all around. We can't carry that out. We need each other. The imagery of a body, it necessitates being part of a specific body. It would be absurd to imagine a free agent foot. <laughs> you know, just the baseball starting, and there's a couple free agents right now still. And, you know, but imagine that there's a free agent foot, and they were just looking for a body. And then suddenly, they were a part of one body, and then a few, well, after a year or so, they were like, yeah, we don't like this body anymore, and they took off. Well, that, the body they left would kind of be hurting. They'd be like, what happened to my foot? It's gone. And by the way, a foot on its own doesn't do so well. You know, I love the, the body analogy. You know, not, not only could a different part not survive very well on its own, they would do harm to the body that relied on them if they suddenly detached because they liked the other body's skin color or voice or whatever better. Now, I'm not talking about a church body that is in sin or the deviating from Scripture. They are no longer truly reflecting the body of Christ. 
but I, I trust and I believe, and I know that's not the case here. So being a member of this body means you have a part to play. You know, think about every member of your own physical body. It's, it's meant to be used in service of the greater body, working together along with the rest of the body. None of us are meant to walk in and function alone. If you walk into your doctor's office, if you, if you saw different body parts in jars, beyond the fact that you might be a little unnerved, you know, you see a hand or an eye or a foot or an ear, you'd assume something went wrong with that part of the body. Something went wrong with the body that that was attached to. Something's not functioning anymore. That, that ear in a jar, it is not hearing very well. That eye in a jar, it can't see. Being a member of the body who's detached is just as unnatural. Being a part of this body, though, it means that you're a part of a greater whole. You need the rest of the body to function. You know, we need every other weird person in this room to function. Did you know that? As you know somebody else, we're all weird. You just think somebody else is weird. You just don't know how weird you are. That's, I can help you with that if you want. Just come up afterwards. I'll help you. I'll point out something. I really won't. Because uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll, I'll be worried. You'll point out how I'm weird too. And you know what? We're all a little weird and we should just be able to laugh at ourselves. So you know what? That's, we're all in this together. We're all flawed. We're all weak. We're all weird. We all need God and we all need each other. You know, every family's a little different, right? Everybody's a little unique. And uh, just like all of my body partakes of the nutrients that I take in, sustained by food, as, as a body we partake, we equally benefit of the same spiritual food. And in Ephesians 3, 6, it says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, and by the way, that's most all of us, are fellow heirs, members of the same body and here's what we partake of together we're partakers of the promise in christ jesus through the gospel we are common partakers and we are nourished by jesus christ through the gospel by the promise of jesus christ the implication of being called to be part of the same body is we're called to treat fellow members of the body in a worthy manner and ephesians 4 1 through 6 paul is talking about how we treat each other and he says i urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which you've been called you've been called to be part of a body you've been called to be part of a household you've been called to be part of a family he says now walk in a manner worthy with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love do you do those things eager are you eager eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit has already given us. We're already made one with each other. Are you eager to maintain that unity in the bond of peace? He says there's one body and one Spirit. It's just as we are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We share the same life. Don't cut another member of the body off. We all rely on the same nourishment. We have a common unity and a bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 7 talks about how we also have a purpose. It says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And being a part of this body, it implies that God has given you a gift. He's made you a different part. You've been given gifts of God's grace. None of you are ungifted. If you look elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it tells us there's a varieties of gifts as well. 
as fellow church members, as fellow members of this body, um, you all have different gifts and parts and roles to play. You know, some of you are kind of like the skin. You keep infection out. You, know, you don't think a lot about your skin very often until you cut yourself and get a staph infection. Then, then you start thinking, man, I've got to take care of my skin and make sure if I get a cut, I, I keep it closed. You know, God's given all of us various gifts. As a, as a fellow church member, Aaron and I are just fellow church members. We're just, we're just different gifts. Our gifts happen to be more public, but it doesn't make them any more noble, any more honorable. And in fact, actually, some of the, the gifts you don't see that aren't as public are God has given greater honor. You know, think about somebody who's ailing or struggling with long-term illness, and they are quietly giving glory to God, trusting in God. They may seem weaker, but God's given them greater honor. You know, Aaron and my role, we're just meant to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. But both your work and my work, they build up together the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which he's equipped, when each part is working properly, notice that, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It requires each part working properly. Each part working. Each part working properly. It's only as each joint, each part of the body is working does our whole body grow. Any good physician will tell you that when any system of the body has a problem, the whole body suffers. If your endocrine system malfunctions, your hormones, they might be out of whack. And if any part of that system, if your, your thyroid or your thymus, your pancreas, your adrenal glands, that fails, your metabolism is probably going to be thrown off and your tissues might not function, you might not sleep, and your mood's probably going to be affected. You feel it when any little part is off. Every little part is needed to work properly to regulate growth. And if maybe if only one part of your nervous system fails, you know, which part do you want to go? You know? Do you want your autonomic nervous system to go? You feel like your heart failing and your uh, your lungs stopping on their own? Or do you want, you know, the 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 conscious, the the conscious part of your nervous system fails so you can't pick up a spoon to feed yourself? How about your excretory system? Let me tell you, man, you, you might think it's a joke, but you can die from that. If your renal system fails, you know, performs the bodily process of discharging waste, if it malfunctions, it can have serious life-threatening issues. If you don't believe me, ask, ask Leo Newman, who's struggled with his kidneys. That part's pretty important. You don't see it. It's not on the outside, but oh man, it's important, and it can be life-threatening when it malfunctions. If your body can't do the dirty work, can't get rid of waste, it can be deadly. You know, we go on and talk about all the different systems of the physical body, and I think that's the reason why we're giving this rich metaphor. We talk about the skeletal system, the muscular system, the, the digestive, the lymphatic, and cardiovascular, and all the other things you can think of, the respiratory system. I mean, each, each one of those systems is made up of different parts, but all of those individual parts are necessary to each system, and all systems are, are necessary to the whole well-functioning of the body, Right? There's a lot of coordination going on. In the physical body, every member is required to coordinate with the other for the body to, to carry out its functions well. 
it, it requires a lot of give and take, a lot of back and forth, a lot of different work. It requires one part of the body supplying blood and, and nutrients and oxygen to another part of the body that it will never benefit from directly, necessarily, but that doesn't mean it doesn't benefit. It just comes back later in the form of food when the extremities feed or, or walk you to a place or take the rest of the body to the bathroom or whatever it is. You get the point. There's no unnecessary part, no matter how seemingly small. Then in Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, he also who wrote Ephesians, he, he corrects a wrong view that they have that some members of the body, they have more value than others, and these more public things, the ones you see on the outside, in fact, those are more important. It'd be like saying my skin is more important than my organs. Well, I, I, really, I really doubt that. So Paul told him in Corinthians 12, 18, he says, but as, as it is, God has arranged. Who's arranged? Who's, who's arranged each and every one here? He says, God has arranged. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. As who chose? As you chose? Did you choose to, what part you're going to play? What, what member you're going to be? No, it says, God has arranged as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We take care to protect and keep them modest, which our more presentable parts do not require. You know, as a member of this local church body, you are important, you are needed, you're significant. We all need you to play your part and function within this body. And, 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 and when, the, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. If you're suffering, we all suffer with you. If you aren't functioning, we all feel it. When you crush your finger, the rest of the body feels the sensation of pain. When your foot is broken and you can't walk, the rest of your body suffers it's long term then you become physically inactive and you have other effects too you might feel this morning like your gift is lowly or small or unimportant you feel that way i'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but do you feel that way you feel like your gift is small or lowly unimportant there's no such thing god has placed you you're thinking why am i here what part do i play i don't really contribute very much i'm just a small part i'm, I'm just a needy person well you know what god actually arranged needy people on purpose so that we can learn to care for needy people and vice versa so needy people can learn to get care and be humble? You know, we need weaker members. After all, for all to grow up, we all need to grow. You know, if, if it's hard to care for a weaker member, the people who it's hard to care for need to grow in caring. And the weaker member who says, you know what, I don't want to tell anybody I'm weak. I'm tired of talking about weakness. I'm tired of people knowing I'm weak. Maybe they need to grow and God's bringing some humility and that's how they need to grow when we're all playing a part together. Now, don't be condemned. I'm not accusing either one of you if it's hard to care for people or if it's hard for you to receive help. But God has, has given you to the body. Maybe you have a weakness to be a shining example to the rest of us of what it really looks like to trust in God through hurt and suffering and be strong in Him a weakness. But we don't look down on any part of the body. No part of this less valuable. The supposedly less honorable members it says we give greater honor 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, 
but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Do you feel that way? If one member is honored, all rejoice together. How do you feel when somebody else is honored? Do you think, well, I did that too, just nobody honored me? You know, I, I served, just nobody, nobody commended me for serving. Psh, I guess they only like them, they're the popular ones. You know, do you rejoice when other members are honored? He says, now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. You need to ask yourself, though, are you playing your part, however small, however seemingly insignificant, are you playing your part? God's given you a gift, not just for yourself. You begin to have a gift. You, you realize your gift is meant to be used in the body for the good of the body. So if you're a member, the question is, are you functioning like a member and using your gifts here? Now, I don't mean demanding that the gifts you think you have are used. I don't mean that. All too often we want to do that. We want to say, look, this is the gift I have and this is how I want it to be used. So take it or leave it. It's not what a body does. Not forcing the gifts that you think you have or demanding that your gifts are used the way you want, but it's a seeking to humbly serve and submit your gifts however you might be used in whatever way God sees fit. The good news is you all have gifts and he's going to enable you to use them. He's going to make room for them. If you've been given a gift and somebody else has not yet recognized that, don't worry. God's going to make room for that. God's going to make that evident. God's going to make that come to light. Express your gift. Tell people, hey, I think I'm gifted in this area. And then you know what? Trust God. Take a step of faith. Maybe start serving in those areas if, if there's not an obvious need. Maybe you see a need. Maybe assume, hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a member of the body. I happen to have eyes. I might be an eye. The foot doesn't see this problem. I see the problem. Maybe I'm meant to avoid it. Or maybe I see a need. Maybe I'm meant to do something about it. Assume, if you're a member of this body, that if you see a need in the church, if that's something that's practical, like building stuff, or if that's something, a caring for somebody physically, or caring for different needs spiritually, or somebody's down, or somebody's discouraged, don't assume that somebody else sees that. Say, you know what? I'm a member of this body. I see that. I'm going to step out. I'm going to care for each other. I'm going I'm to encourage a person who seems downcast. I'm going to ask somebody who's sick what I can do to help them. I'm going to go and, and help, you know, people who are moving this weekend. The question is, are we stewarding the gifts we have for the good of the whole body? Or are you trying to be an independent liver? (laughs) We're meant to rejoice. We're meant to not be jealous when we're members honored. And and as members of the local body, we, we can't play favorites. We have the same care for each other. You know, I don't know why God has given different gifts, but I know we need them. I don't know why... One person has one gift, one person has another gift, but I do know that God has arranged them all to be a part of the body and each one to do their part. And one's a joint and one's a, a muscle, one's something else. And what a great and glorious privilege it is to be a part of Christ's local family, his local body. But here's, there's even greater news I want to leave you with. And it's knowing that we're a part of this local body and it's greater news than that, that we care for one another, we love one another, but here's, here's where this is grounded. You see, we're members of Christ's body. And ultimately, he nourishes us and he cherishes us. Don't, don't rely over much on someone else to meet your needs. Remember where our nourishment and where your cherishing is to come from, where it does come from. In, in Ephesians 5, 29, 30, he's talking about the husband and wife relationship. And he's telling the husband to love the wife. And he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, 
He's given a metaphor here. I'm not talking husbands and wives, but he says, but nourishes and cherishes it. So you don't hate your own flesh, you nourish and cherish it. And then he says, get this, says something important about your relationship with Jesus. says, just as Christ does, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes you. Do you see where your source is coming from, where your nourishment comes from, is meant to come from, where you're to look for nourishment, where you're to look for being cherished? Maybe you've thought, you know what? I don't feel like this fellow church member is cherishing me. Maybe not. But ultimately, our eyes look to Jesus who nourishes his body. He's the one we look to. Ephesians 5, 31, it says, the two should become one flesh. Talking about marriage in that, in that instance, but he says in 32, verse 32, he explains it. He says, this mystery, this one flesh mystery, he says, it's profound. And here's why it's profound. It's profound because he says, I'm saying that it refers ultimately, it points to an ultimate picture of Christ and the church. We are one flesh with Jesus. That's where our hope is. That's where our confidence is. That's where we get nourishment. That's where we look to be cherished. Nothing can separate us from him. We're secure in our union with Christ. We're joined eternally with him. And because of this, because we're already being nourished and cherished in him rightfully, if we're looking to him for nourishment and cherishment. Is that a word? I don't think so. I made it up. The English teachers will hate me. But if we're looking to him for our nourishment, then we're going to be secure in our union with him. Because of that, we can actively then say, you know what, I'm being nourished by, by Jesus. He cherishes me. Because of that, I can go and carry that nourishment to other members of the body. We all feed, we all partake of Christ. Now what a privilege it is, this good news of the gospel we're meant to give. It's meant to result in, in lost orphans being brought into his family, being made a part of his body. And what a privilege it is, we get to be messengers and representatives of God our Father as he seeks and he saves the lost and he draws people into this family. Amen? Let's pray. Have the band go ahead and come up and we'll, we'll do a song afterwards.